everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of It's the Kid Michael Show. Uh, before we begin uh, with our guests and co-hosts and whatnot, um, a little bit of a serious note. Uh, we're recording this on May 29th, Friday, um, and a lot is going on with um, the murder of George Floyd uh, and the um, ensuing chaos afterwards. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to take a moment to plug the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um, if you guys want to help out um, getting protesters out of prison who can't meet bail, uh, just um, some notes from their own website. The, the Minnesota Freedom Fund is a community-based nonprofit that combats the harms of incarceration by paying bail for low-income individuals who cannot otherwise afford it. We oppose pay-to-play pay justice and believe that our work has the potential to catalyze substantial criminal justice reform. So uh, in any situation, this is a good uh, charity to be donating to, but especially right now when people who are protesting uh, this murder, you know, um, this is a good thing to get into. So you can find that at minnesotafreedomfund.org. Um, and I wish I had more to say about that. Uh, I'm kind of new to th this. This happening during this podcast has been kind of a wake up call that I need to be ready for this kind of thing happening when I have a platform. Uh, and I hope to be better suited to talk about this kind of stuff in the future. But um, yeah, uh, with that, we're going to get into the show. So, like I said, welcome to the Kid Michael Show. Uh, Adam's not here. His last episode was last week. So, um, our interim co-host uh, for the for the uh, duration of the FIT interviews is Morella. Morella, say say hi, Morella. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. <laughs> hi. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be taking over. I'll be here for uh, two two episodes. Two, two episodes, I think. Um, yes, back by popular demand. Um, yeah. And we have a big guest today uh, who all the FIT uh, former guests know and we're excited to hear about coming on the show. We have Professor Dan Shuffleman. Dan, how you doing? Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm good. Glad to be here. Um, so you've seen the show before. You kind of know the format of how we do this. We go through my notes and then we kind of talk about uh, specific stuff. Um, I also... For the end of this episode, um, have a Q and A that I sent out. A bunch of your former students wanted to know. Um, okay. Yeah, Taylor uh, Bender suggested fun. that I I put that out there. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, have you been uh, watching any movies lately? Oh boy, I always blank when people ask me this. <laughs> um, I'm sort of a show watcher these days. If I, you know. My son and my wife and I pick a movie. We're usually dissatisfied, so mm -hmm. I usually go for a good series. Um, I was watching Miss, Mrs. America, and I got I haven't finished it, but um, Kate Blanchett's incredible in that. What is that? I've never heard of it. Um, oh, is this uh, the is this the one? Phyllis Schlafly. Yeah, it's it's uh, sort of Phyllis Schlafly versus the ERA Equal, Equal yeah. Rights Amendment. I do know this and one. And it's an incredible character study and sort of twisted portrait of her. Uh, I just... So I've been enjoying that. Um, I think I watched Ford and Ferrari three times. Once in the <laughs> theater, once with my mom, who's 90, and needed some cheering up. And once, just, I had to see it again. And it's just such a fun movie. Wow. It's like Are you a car kind of movie you... Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. But it's just like the kind of movie you can watch, and it's you just you have fun. I mean, you know. Cool. I won't say, yeah, I had... I won't say anymore. But, that's you know, Hulu, it's, it's, right? It's, 
uh, I don't know where it's available now. Hulu <laughs> is um, the Mrs. America is is on FX slash Hulu now. Yeah. Which is a, yeah. Um, cool. And I tried to watch Devs, and I got to tell you, it put me to sleep. What's... It was so. Yeah. It's by the same guy that did Ex Machina, and I I couldn't stand. I might be wrong, but I yeah. I'm pretty pretty sure it's by the same guy, and I I was not a big fan of Ex Machina. I loved Ex Machina. Really? Yeah, I watched that in um Vincent DeFate's class, his science fiction class, and I loved it. Really? It's also a great class. I thought, I thought it was like a good movie, but like, um, you know, just like it, that it was good, not that I personally liked it. I thought Oscar Isaac made me so uncomfortable in that movie. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a part specifically uh, where he's like accusing the main character of something and he's like, why would I do that or something like that? And Oscar just goes, I don't know. I don't know. And that like part freaks me out really bad. Um, that's kind of a, that sounds like the way they talk in devs. Everything is just so slow and so yeah. ponderous. Yeah, Nick that's Offerman. why. I, I, I yeah. love, love Nick, Nick Offerman, but when he's being slow and ponderous, yeah, that doesn't he's, sound great. He's brutal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's something about it that kind of drives me crazy. The yeah, that's weird. The, I, is the same thing with his other movie, um, Annihilation. I wasn't really into for the same reason. It has like a really cool concept, but it's just kind of slow and I don't know. It looks good, but <laughs> very well designed. Yeah. Well yeah. Designed. <laughs> Marilla, have you been watching anything? Mm-hmm. What have you been watching? So I've been I've been going through this quarantine playlist of movies uh-huh. that we found. Um, I can like it's uh it's by Nick Spheres. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like a a YouTuber, like a film reviewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has this big uh quarantine playlist, and she's been doing this whole series of like horrifying movies and stuff. But the 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 whole thing is we've been going through it, and we just watched um Riccio Story of Ricky, which is like this future sci-fi Japanese like I don't even know if it's horror it's just action and it's just this guy trying to escape prison um it's really I would I would 100% recommend it it's really gory though but like in an 80s way yeah (laughs) um one point like a guy punches another guy's like the top of his head off it's it's pretty (laughs) if you're into that sort of thing I'd definitely recommend it Mm. Um, my two movies for this week. Uh, one of them was RoboCop, and I don't want to talk about that this week. That's going to be next week's episode. Um, wait, is that a remake or the original? The original I was watching. Yeah, there is a remake. There is a remake. Um, but I will save that for next week just because it doesn't feel appropriate. Um, the other thing I watched. Cops. It's kind of nice. (laughs) (laughs) The the other the other thing I watched uh, was Red Dawn last night. Good God, (laughs) that was a dumb movie. I, I've never disagreed with a movie on, like, so many levels as I did that movie last night. Um, really? Yeah, have you ever seen it? No, but I've been told it's good. It's, um, I wanted to love it, but, like, there's so much, like, xenophobia and, like... Oh. Like, it starts out... The movie is basically, like, what if everyone hoarding guns for the apocalypse was right? And the communists came and attacked us. That's... The whole movie, uh, and there's like there's a there was a point in the movie where they were explaining how like it's World War Three, right? So the Russians mm-hmm. and Cubans have evaded, invaded Minnesota for whatever reason, and um, there's a scene where this guy is explaining how they invaded the country, and he's like, yeah, and part of part of it was uh, they used illegal immigrants from Mexico, and I was like, well, how did you even 
tie that into this? It's like a checklist. That was I don't know. I thought it was. I wanted to like it so much, but it uh, was so blatantly just dumb. I just might have assumed it would be a good movie because Patrick Swayze's in it. Yeah, have you seen it, Dan? Uh, I haven't, but I have seen The Russians Are Coming. I've never heard of that. Which oh, you've no. never heard of. Sixties like comedy uh, same idea but it's just a goofy comedy you should probably yeah. watch that it's next. such an interesting like creepy concept of like a foreign invasion on american soil it's just not executed well at all yeah, yeah. i think uh if i wanted to see a movie like about that i would rather them focus on like the first day because that's the scary part is when the paratroopers are coming down and everyone's like this this is weird and they don't realize what's happening but like they keep cutting to like months later and it's just not interesting oh yeah mm -hmm. it just kind of cuts it cuts through it really quick yeah i was talking to my mom about it and she brought up um the author tom clancy and i thought it was so interesting um that like my generation and her generation maybe even you dan um have such a different like associate such different things with tom clancy because for my mom he was an author um, and for like, uh, Morella and I's generation, he, there were the Tom Clancy video games. <laughs> that I didn't know about. Yeah. He was an author and the, and the, a lot of his movies. His, I just knew his books book. adapted into movies. Wait, I didn't know he was a, so what like happened? So game. the company Ubisoft, I think it is, uh, just licensed the name Tom Clancy. And there's like so many video games called like Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Wow. Like it's a whole genre of Tom Clancy video games. And that—that's that, I didn't know he was an author at first. I thought he was just a guy whose name was on video games. Did like uh, Hunt for the Red October or whatever. Yeah, I didn't know that was him until this morning. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Just... When you said Red Dawn, I immediately think of that. I don't really think of Red Dawn. Yeah. yeah that's probably a better also movie. A TV series. Wasn't there a Red Dawn TV series? I don't know. There was a remake with Chris Hemsworth. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> I think it was Chris Hemsworth and Josh Hutcherson are the brothers in that movie. Huh, I wonder why. And then the original is Patrick Swayze and is it Charlie Sheen? Yeah. I hope it's Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen is like a teenager. Um, Patrick Swayze is so not young looking in that movie. Uh, also, there's a part in that movie where um, I just thought this was so weird to put in. Where like they're 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 in the wilderness like surviving like trying to avoid the communists and they hunt down this deer and this one kid mentions that it's his first time ever killing an animal so they make him drink the deer's blood <laughs> and I just really hope that's not an actual tradition for people because that's so nasty. What was that, that? What was that wilderness survival movie where the uh, family that lives in the woods and he makes this son drink the blood of the deer? I don't know. Oh, well, it's definitely, yeah. it's definitely Swiss special. Family Robinson. Native American. <laughs> No, the modern I know. version of that. Uh, uh, Captain Fantastic. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that that's a that's a real tradition. I think in I think it's a certain cultures. It's definitely. It's been tradition. heard there's, before. I don't like that. There's there's <laughs> cultures where you eat the heart of your enemy. Oh, that's you them, so, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Chances are, if you've heard it, someone's done it. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe it's just a movie trope. I don't know. Um. Yeah, that's that's uh, my kind of movie talk of the day. Um, I actually, my friend started showing me that show Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, we just went through the whole thing. Uh, you ever watch that, Dan? 
Oh no, my kids did. But yeah, know, um, I'm old. I I liked it, but I don't know that like I I think it's objectively quality. I don't know that it's my thing though. Like I feel like people are gonna hate me for that, but it, I just I couldn't. <laughs> I don't know that it's entirely my thing, but it, I can see the objective high quality of it from like an illustration def- animation standpoint. Yeah, I definitely didn't think I would like it just because I'm not usually um, a cartoon watcher, mm-hmm. and I would classify it more as a cartoon than because it, it was like a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. Um, but it does have a lot of good qualities, and we kind of quarantine binged it in like three days so (laughs) and i'd never seen it before yeah that like avatar and community have both gotten like such boosts from quarantine binging um yeah i've never seen uh community either you gotta it's like my favorite show of all time (laughs) have you ever seen community dan i have not do you know of it of course yeah Yeah. i should really I, i think i've watched episodes um yeah, that's it's a really good one. Uh, Dan, I wanted to ask you, kind of shifting gears a little bit, you mentioned to me that um, you watched our episode with Tiffany, um, yes. and that kind of influenced uh, the uh, 3D seat in your show, virtual reality oh. type thing. Can you, yeah, uh, can you elaborate on that? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Well, Tiffany, uh, you know, and I've had a interesting relationship over the last, whatever, three semesters. She's been uh-huh. very vocal about you know, what goes on in class. And, and I tried out a really kind of radical group project last mm-hmm. semester, even more so than <clears throat> the last one. And um, she ended up sort of taking a lead and uh, then sort of hitting the wall and um, sort of it really helped influence the way I shaped that mm-hmm. and how she shaped it. And when she expressed on your show, you know, obviously I knew that this was a devastating uh, time for students and that they you know, lost two of your, you know, aspirations or your four years, the show and the, and graduation. Yeah. And so, you know, she articulated it really well. Um, I had been planning on doing a VR show, but I kind of stalled out on it and just decided to keep it simple. You know, we wanted to do something way more than <clears throat> the, um, the design school was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it's just a too massive a thing for them to treat any department with an, enough, you know, personal touch mm-hmm. so we definitely wanted to create our own website but the vr exhibition or i should say virtual exhibition it is doable in vr um i'd kind of said all right this is enough already i'm you know this is way more than a professor would ever do for this and but a- after i heard tiffany i realized you know if, if not now when mm-hmm. and the fact of the matter is um and i just sort of googled you know, virtual exhibitions and just stumbled on this sort of incredible little software, big software company that developed this platform. And when I started looking at it, I realized I just put up some walls and throw art on the wall. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that complicated. And a lot of schools then have, have started to do it. So, but I definitely, it was, you know, and interestingly enough, it's taken me into some other projects. So I kind of have to credit Tiffany with kind of a, you know, a jump start on that for the summer project. So it's very cool. Yeah. And uh, what do you, do you feel like um, even in the future, as we go back to physical shows, hopefully, um, do you feel like this conti- can continue as a supplement or to that? Oh, I mean that with that platform, it's, it's a no brainer. It's easier than making a website. So mm-hmm. probably yeah. if they 
you know, they may start decide that, you know, decide to start charging money for it. But I, I think the vir- virtual component, first of all, how normal are we going to be within the, within the next two year, two years? I don't know. Oof. So we're going to, I believe we're going to need something to supplement. I, you know, the next show could be full attendance. I'm not sure. And I'm not sure by next spring, I would hope so. If there's a vaccine, mm-hmm. um, who, who knows? I, I could get, I could go really dark on this, but I'm just looking at the fall right now, but I, 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 I love doing it. And I actually am building one for, for a client. Say, say again. Dan? We lost Dan. Hi. Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Sorry. Can you repeat that? I got bumped. Um, oh, I'm, so I'm using actually not, I'm using the technology under the, Unity and Unreal Engine, the game engines that built that website mm-hmm. to yeah. build another one from scratch and what? to actually start creating um, a business model out of building sort of virtual spaces for people to interact. Unreal is becoming big these days. Like, I feel like it's everywhere. Um, it's it's massive. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's fighting, you know, Unity and Unreal are kind of, it's like VHS versus beta, Max. <laughs> and Is, is we'll it see. Unity or Unreal that does the um, projector technology where you put the visual effects into the scene like while you're filming it like the mandalorian um because i think i think they i think it's they're both used any kind of game engine can be used for that it's sort of like you create an ar um yeah you create essentially an ar uh vr uh space for the director to work in so that they can see what they're shooting and they can see where their sets are what a perfect time for that technology to become uh yeah so big because now like like the potential of like if you're if you find a country where there is no quarantine and the people are healthier you can film there and be in other locations it's right uh i was also i've talked about this a few times in the podcast i think animation is going to get a huge boom right now oh it already is yeah no doubt. yeah um I, I don't know if it's i talked about this already on a previous episode but do you know the show um what the heck is it called blacklist yeah do you know where i'm going yeah. with this Yes. Yeah. So they did their. I've not seen it, but yes. Their finale yeah. is animated. Right. Yeah, and that's just so cool to me. That opens up. I feel like uh, there is um, adult animation, but I feel like um, those comp- uh, the people who do adult animation, um, you know, they it's it's either uh, kid friendly or adult and humorous. But I feel like right. in, when you see that you can do something like a drama in animation, it's going to open a new door. Um, yeah, I just don't. I don't think studios are going to invest in live action shows right now, not knowing how they're going to be shot. I mean, right. I, I work with the mayor's office of media entertainment, who are responsible for giving the film permits, and they are hoping they will ease back into shooting. But a lot of it's going to be done on sound stages with green screen and virtual sets. Mm-hmm. Not that that doesn't mean live action can't be shot, but it will be it will be done differently. I don't know that it's you know. I think right now the short term studios are probably buying more animation than they are live action but in mm-hmm. the long term i just think it'll change the way live action is done for a while mm-hmm. uh and dan speaking of animation you uh used to work for was it uh, blue sky right yes uh do you mind uh telling us how long that when that was and... i started there in 99 mm-hmm. and um 
I left in 2005 and then I came back for another project. I actually worked on the, the pre, what's it called? The, the development version of Epic, which was called Leafman. Uh-huh. And, um, and then that went into hiatus and I left and, um, started freelancing, but yeah, I was there for a good six years. Uh, would you say that the company, um, is somewhat like the today's version of, um, of blue sky is somewhat representative of what it was when you were there or? no not, not at all i mean when i came it was a small commercial production house mm-hmm. um and i worked on joe's apartment for them uh when they were really small and that was sort of their when they cut their i, I worked on i worked at, at mtv mm-hmm. blue sky was hired as the vfx company and um, they animated all the cockroaches, so I storyboarded all of them. So this wasn't even like yeah. a, a Fox company at this point. No, what happened was, um, you know, it was started by you know, five or six, a couple of uh, guys that worked on Tron, the original Tron, mm-hmm. at a company called Magi in Elmsford, New York, of all places. Well, um, and they and one of them was a nuclear physicist, one was an aerospace engineer, one was an animator, and <laughs> Um, they put all that together to come up with this crazy lighting system um, called CGI Studio that was really cutting edge way ahead of Pixar in terms of lighting and textures and the way stuff looked. Um, And then they, so they did a bunch of commercials. They did um, Joe's Apartment. I think they did Predator or one of those movies. And then Fox took notice. Chris Melodondri at Fox, who was at Fox, he now runs Illumination Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, just he he put in, he invested money in Blue Sky Studios, and largely because of a movie called Bunny, the short film that they spent about nine years making, you know, while they were doing commercials, and that won the Oscar. And just in terms of lighting and atmosphere, it was a revolutionary. I won't say it's my favorite animated short, but it looks good. And so they're the look of the blue sky work was the, was their calling card. Yeah. Um, but we were a small scrappy studio that had never made a movie. You know, we went from 75 people to 150 and then a bunch of people were laid off. And now, I think now they're up to 400 or 500. I don't, I hardly know anyone there anymore. And once Disney took over, um, they pretty much, um, given everyone walking papers or, package deals who was in a supervisory position there so they pretty much um, gutted the management there and Um. they're putting in the disney way of doing things in fact they much to the chagrin of the engineers they have moved away from the blue sky pipeline and scrapped cgi studio and everything is done the pixar way now wow or they're shifting to that i mean that's going to take some i don't know how well you'd be able to answer this uh, given that it's such a different company now but i was wondering as someone who worked at Blue Sky, my question about it is that because Disney owns Walt Disney Animation, which now uses CGI, and Pixar, which is their main CGI studio, uh, in that in that corporate world, what what do you think is Blue Sky's uh, purpose and value to them? Uh, you could ask anybody at Blue Sky that and get a whole variety of answers. I mean, I think some you know there was a fear at one point that they were just essentially buying it to kill competition and buying out the the technology, but I don't think they're doing that because they're scrapping the technology. Mm. Um, they're, I think they make movies more cheaply because they are on the East coast. And so talent, um, 
I, I actually don't know why it's cheaper on the East Coast, um, but I think because there's more there's more competition for talent in on the West Coast, so that people can ask for more to mm-hmm. be hired. Um, I, I what was the original question? Uh, oh, is it like, change? How's it going to change? No, but it was what is its uh, value and is it redundant to Disney? Yeah, I don't think it's redundant because you know there is kind of an East Coast West Coast type of movie and Mm -hmm. probably maybe less so now blue sky than when i was there i mean ice age was not the kind of movie anyone would make in la you know it just was different it was sort of darker and a little edgier and you know obviously still the studio was in la and they were always you know trying to get us to do relatable jokes and things like that and and, um, but i don't know there's a different point of view out here i don't know if that's the reason it also it's an infrastructure that's ready to crank out movies and they've made a ton of money i mean if you just profit you know blue sky has probably made i don't know maybe 10 billion dollars for uh um, for fox and now that disney on fox it's a it's a it's a money it's a money center for them mm. i had and heard unfortunately what fox did was take most of the money and not reinvest it in blue sky for a long time it took them a mm-hmm. while to figure that out i had heard that um I don't know if this is still a plan that they're discussing, but I had heard rumors when they had first bought Fox that Blue Sky was going to be turned into a Disney Plus studio, basically, because it was like the cheaper animation that they would be doing stuff straight for the platform. I mean, that's very likely. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. It's it's such a different world now with streaming and the and now especially. God, you know, I don't even think it's considered a, a sort of a low rent thing to do direct to video on demand because that's all there is right now mm-hmm. so it's hard to even say what they're thinking now in terms of the business model of blue sky really you still with us right yeah i'm here <laughs> oh, okay because I, I thought you had uh got left for a sec um yeah uh i asked that a kind of a goofy question uh that me and because me and adam always make fun of this and i kind of wanted to know some behind the st- scenes stuff about it um like early 2000s i think there was a there was on like fox animation they did a thing where like sid the sloth introduced all the shows you know what i'm talking about i don't remember it but okay yeah i believe it sure i was gonna ask if you had any behind the scenes about that because we me and adam love that clip of of sid the sloth singing the family guy theme song it's so out of place that might have been after i was early 2000s or like mid 2000 mid 2005 like that time i wouldn't be able to say but it was um because once they started doing pirate movies i said i, I can't do this anymore pirate <laughs> once movies? they brought pirates once they brought pirates into the ice age i just uh, I, I couldn't do it anymore so I, I i left there and i was also not working on ice age I, I only worked on the first and second movies i think a lot of people kind of um because there were so many ice age movies kind of their their opinion on it has changed, but I feel like if you go back and watch that first Ice Age movie, it's still really funny. It's still really yeah, it's my it's still my favorite. It's a really good movie. Do you ever watch Ice Age, Bella? Um, I've seen it. I haven't seen it in a really long time. Probably, yeah, a really long time. Um, I'd say the closest relationship I have with it is the fact I've seen Rusted Root. <laughs> I couldn't believe they used that song. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, I'm up here in Rochester right now, and they're uh, they're a Rochester frequent. Oh, yeah. Um, that explains it, because Chris Wedge, I think, is from there originally. 
<laughs> yeah. You're talking yeah, about I the think... song at the end of the movie, right? Uh, it's no. during a montage. Yeah. The three, the three men and the baby scene, basically. <laughs> I think the, um... the, the, the other thing I, I just I should say about Ice Age that people don't I don't think people realize is that that movie when I was hired, I read the script. It was kind of appalling in the beginning, and there there was never a green light on that movie. And I don't know if you guys know what that means, but basically, if a you know when a, when the studio that's financing it basically says, "Okay, you're fully funded to produce," and they never said that. It was kind of like, "Okay, show us the storyboards. Okay, show us the design. Show us your test animation." <laughs> we just made the whole movie the whole like time. that. Yeah, month wow. to month, basically, and. It, it was yeah. It was we we're on tender hooks the whole time, and then they they would not. Dead. They weren't doing any marketing. They weren't doing anything because they just didn't know it was going to do well. Um, the plus side, to all that is, they gave us a nice uh, percentage share of the box office, not realizing how much money it was going to make, and so we all we all benefited from that. But it was it was, yeah. And then before the movie. Uh, was even released. They laid a bunch. They laid hundred people off because they didn't know what the next movie was. Oof. So those are tough times at Blue Sky back then. What was what was the movie after uh, Ice Age? Was it Robots? Robots, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I saw that in the theaters, and then I never saw it again. <laughs> I I really want to get the concept art book for Robots because it's got some really pretty stuff in there. Yeah, um, that that that's the. I, I really I, the art department on Robots was amazing. A bunch of really talented people and. Dice Tsumi was in that, I think, and ended up now has his own studio. You know, that was a great team. Do you ever get to meet any of the actors that worked on those movies? Like, um, was it Ray Romano in the Ice Age? Uh, yeah, I met I met Ray at the premiere. The funniest meeting I had, though, it wasn't even one of the movies, but but uh, Chris Melodondri brought Bill Murray in, um, but for Garfield because they didn't do Garfield at blue sky but fox animation did it somewhere else and uh bill murray said i want to see how animation is made so he came into the story department where we just sit with we have there's paper everywhere it's not like it is now it was just scraps of paper everywhere and boards pinned and all this crazy stuff going on he walked up to my desk and i had a bunch of panels pinned up and said that looks like a lot of work (laughs) i can totally picture him saying that yeah Right. <laughs> uh, I think my most quotable favorite line um, in Ice Age is uh, Sid the Sloth going, "Oh look, oh look, pine cones, my favorite." That's like my favorite line in that movie. So when he's trying to convince well. them to eat the pine cones. <laughs> um, um, I know there's like a fad going around where everyone hates the the baby. Actually, I was gonna say, Dan, I think I owe you an apology <laughs> because uh, I I mentioned that to you. Uh, and I thought you took it in stride, but then Adam pointed out to me that later that day that you posted on Instagram uh, a I picture of the storyboard saying, how could you hate this baby? Yeah, no, that, I mean, I actually did kind of hate that. I mean, it, it's interesting because I was, I can't remember what, there's the original Three Men and a Baby story, not the original, but it was an old older movie. And I was listening to someone talking on NPR how that movie's been remade so many times and including Ice Age. Mm-hmm. That baby just—I didn't care what happened to that baby, and why does this tiger care what happens to the baby? Kind of drove me crazy. But I will say, the cave painting sequence was—it kind of made my career because 
that was like the moment in the movie. No one could figure out why these characters were going to bond and why they would care about taking this baby back to its its father. Mm. So I did have a really deep experience more with Manny because I had a little boy at the time who's now going to law school downstairs. Um, <laughs> but I, I, it was really hard for me to do that sequence because I couldn't deal with the idea of having my, my wife and child murdered by a bunch of spear wielding <laughs> maniacs. And so actually, yeah, I had a lot, a lot invested, but no, I just, I thought it was funny. I totally get, actually, I don't quite get why people hated that baby so much, but I don't, I wasn't feeling defensive about it. Yeah, it I think kind of I think it's just one person said it on the internet and everyone just went with it. Yeah. I don't know if it's like they genuinely hate the baby. Right. Um, yeah, uh, but I would love to go back and watch that original Ice Age movie now because I think some of it's still like the comedy is pretty. It's like Shrek. It's got like adult comedy that you could go back to. Um, yeah. I was watching a clip recently. Uh, did I send this to you, Marilla, of Shrek 2? I don't think so. There's a scene in Shrek 2 where Shrek is getting arrested, and it's supposed to be cops, like the show Cops, but it's knights. <laughs> and they, oh. they they reference the OJ uh, case. Like they he's there's a part where he's like riding um, donkey who has at this point been turned into a white horse, <laughs> and they say on the radio like we got a white bronco. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I didn't, I never noticed that. And they like oh. the the cops, um, the, the knights that have an invented pepper spray, so they're grinding pepper in Shrek's eyes. It's a really funny. The Shrek movies that really, uh, and Ice Age was like that too, where they had like that adult humor, like uh, like witty humor. Yeah. Um, those are kind of similar movies in terms of like being edgy for kids movies, and around that time is Shrek and Ice Age, I would say. Um, um like edgy, yeah. I guess I could, yeah. That was kind of, uh, I don't know, Dan, if the, if this was, like, on the minds of people at the time, but it was kind of like a, an age of, uh, like, fuck Disney, excuse my French, but, like, <laughs> people trying to be, like, edgy with something that Disney had been monopolizing for so long. Is it is that, a, like, a, a right observation, would you say? Or Yeah, I mean, I, the original script, I think, wanted to go further than, you know, and, and it was interesting because my first assignment on Ice Age was to draw a sequence where Sid wakes up uh hung over from eating fermented berries and he hears someone in the shower and he doesn't know who he slept with last night <laughs> and she comes out it was a very misogynistic horrible oh. scene of, and she's really ugly and he's horrified and he runs away and 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 the whole time i'm boarding and i'm like who is this character and why <laughs> how are we ever going to like him and this is supposed to be a family movie like i, I was so it was actually it was interesting though because when you're early on when you're storyboarding a movie if it's not existing characters you're just drawing little things moving around you have no and unless the script is just fantastic you know you don't really know who these characters are mm -hmm. and john logozamo was doing a lot of <clears throat> he actually was filming filming moulin rouge in australia and just lifted toulouse lautrec's lisp for for sid and and I think he like smoked some weed and wrote nine pages of backstory for Sid, which was amazing and just weird, like talking about how their teeth are falling out. So they would have a lisp. And, but even then I was like, who is this character? And I would never like him if he just like ran out on this female sloth oh. who he later married. Just so you know, no, I don't know. 
She um, ended up being in the movie, but it wasn't as horrible because we just said, we just decided to take that scene out. It just never felt right. I mean, we looked at the, the funny thing about working on movies is you watch a lot of movies to sort of get ideas. Mm-hmm. So I remember watching uh, Midnight Cowboy and <laughs> of all the movies to watch, let's watch Midnight Cowboy to work on a kid's movie. But Ratso Rizzo, <laughs> we wanted him to feel like Ratso Rizzo, you know, which he sort of did, you know, sort of the well-meaning ne'er-do-well kind of, you know, I just, but he was going to have a much fouler mouth like Dustin Hoffman. Did. I just remembered my other favorite um, bit from Ice Age is when uh, Manny like uh, puts like put uh, puts Sid in his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, he's no, not no, letting no, go. No. Diego, Diego, Diego. Sorry, not Manny. Yeah, Diego, yeah, yeah. and and he's just like trying to get Manny's attention. He's like, <laughs> right. That's like my that's my other favorite scene in that movie. Um, another thing I want to ask uh, is. How much of production went to like having to actually re- research prehistory? Uh, not a lot. I know it was before I was there. They went on a tour of the Museum of Natural History with the head mm-hmm. paleontologist. And I, the funny thing is what he said to them was, I understand they're talking animals and it's fiction, but please don't put dinosaurs in the movie. Oh. <laughs> oh. So what we did, I don't know if you remember, um, when they're walking through the glacier, uh, yeah, there's a frozen dinosaur, and that was just our little tip of the hat. Uh, I had always thought when I was little that the end was it an end credit scene with Scrappy, or was it like just right before the end of the movie, where he like he's on that island? I had always thought that was oh, a reference with Scrat, to dinosaurs. Scrat, I think Scrat. the rat's name. Scrat. 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 I, I always the thought first that, or the second one. I always thought that he had landed one. on like a dinosaur island or something as a kid, but I was stupid. I don't. I guess I probably misinterpreted that. Well, it um, does happen later in the yeah third the third one. There's a whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, weird that they'd go backwards with that, but um. Yeah. So you you weren't there for a lot of the 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 the, the part of the movie which was like, um, deciding okay this is the kind of creatures we want to coexist in this movie and whatnot. Uh, no, I was. I just wasn't there for the sort of uh. the the research i was definitely i sat with all the modelers and all the designers mm-hmm. and pete DeSev doing the drawings of the characters because like gr- very like much involved in that getting older and then looking at like prehistory and like documentaries and stuff you you start to realize that like a lot of these uh animals did not coexist like dodo birds and macrochemia and like right so what was uh do you do you have any insight on like what was the the decision making of like what gets in what what animal gets into this movie what doesn't Whatever works for the story. I mean, you yeah. know, we once once you're talk, doing talking animals, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the fact that people don't think about that, but they do say that animals from different time periods is kind of funny to me. Yeah. You know, um, so it was really like uh, the dodos was a scene I didn't really think was necessary, but um, it was fun. I mean, fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bill Frake, who I think storyboarded that, is just a it was like a gag machine. So. That was a good scene for a gag machine. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did you? Is that the only animation studio you worked at, or have you since? Oh no, I, um, I've worked at a bunch. I mean, started at Jumbo Pictures, working on Doug. I worked at MTV Animation, a mm-hmm. short-lived studio that did Celebrity Deathmatch and Beavis and Butthead. Um, I've worked. I worked for a studio called World Leaders that did a couple of episodes of. Um, Venture Brothers, 
some studios I've worked at are no longer in existence. Um, uh, not... Worked for a studio in Taiwan, you know, all over the place. Oh, wow. <laughs> to be like vague enough not to call anyone out, um, I at a school I went to, there was an animation teacher who had claimed to work on Doug, and I, I had heard later on that people said he just got coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's how he got his animation teaching job. Uh, I think, I think I know who you're talking it. about. You I do? I think I know who you're talking about. And I think he went from like, I was always, am- I can't remember his name, but he did really well for himself. And yeah, I, I, I think he was an assistant there. But hey, that's how a lot of people got started. Yeah. Um, but that was like the gossip about him at my at the school I went to. That, that he What's, was... What school <laughs> were you at? Just uh, should, I, should I say it? Um, it was uh, art and design. Oh, no, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Oh, okay. This is just something that happens. Um, <laughs> happens to me all the time. This video game that I have been playing, is, I think, is going to be an animated show that I'm really excited about. Um, Merle, you ever, you ever play Kingdom Hearts? Um, No. Do you know of it? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you know of this yeah. franchise, Dan? No. So it, I'm, it's I'm a, a very... Gaming illiterate, unfortunately. It's a very strange game series where, like... Uh, Square Enix, the guys that make Final Fantasy and whatnot, um, teamed up with Disney Interactive. And what these games are is that you're playing as this anime-esque kind of character with Disney-esque kind of cartoony outfits and whatnot. And you and Donald Duck and Goofy travel to all the different Disney worlds and have to pretend that you're not from another world and help the movie's narrative play out as if you're not there. Kind of like Star Trek not being able to influence other worlds. Uh, but it's a really cool idea that you just get to go to all these different Disney worlds and experience a shortened version of every film's plot, and then you, you're in all these different animation styles. And yeah, so they're they're talking about doing that for Disney Plus, and I think that's going to be really cool. And I think that's going to be done in Unity too. That makes sense. Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, everything's everything real time rendering is more Unreal than Unity, but. Mm-hmm. And I think every big studio is trying to do it that way. I don't think Disney itself is making the show. I think that Square Enix is doing it because they did like three Final Fantasy movies. Uh, Square Enix that they tried to they tried to become like a big animation studio. I don't know if you either yeah. of you have seen any of those, but they were like they were really pushing photo real CGI for animation. And yeah, it, that was the that was horrifying everybody at Disney. I mean, uh, the first one was came out. You know, that was I think that was sort of when the Uncanny Valley gained mm-hmm. you know attention and you, we were all just throwing up in our mouth and that and uh what was the what was the um midnight express polar midnight express and you were just bring that one up yeah <laughs> didn't, didn't disney buy and then close that company uh, what no, was that dumb. company i don't know i don't Probably. remember the name of it but they did that movie they did uh christmas carol um so all that mars needs moms called? was their last movie i think yeah they might have done that Tim. Animation, uh, motion capture, motion capture. Yeah, like what a wolf. weird idea to do an entire movie in motion capture, but as an animated movie. Didn't quite. The only one that really got that was like, and I'm not a, tar- I'm not really a big fan of this movie, but um, Monster House was the only one that didn't like give off the creepy, um, like, what do they call that when it's like the scale where it's too human but not human enough? Uncanny where, Valley. Like, That's the Uncanny Valley. Yeah, yeah, it didn't have like the uncanny valley quite. I didn't know that was motion as capture. bad as the others. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was looking for a mentor, uh, this year, I emailed. Um, I don't know if you'll recognize this name, Dan, but a guy named Rob Schraub. 
Uh, Sounds familiar. And yeah. he is uh, he was one of the writers, one of the two writers, him and Dan Harmon, that that made Monster House. Oh. Uh, he's also the guy that created Scud the Disposable Assassin. Uh, and he works on Rick Never. and Morty. Um, but Dan Harmon did Monster House. Yeah. No wonder I hated it. Oh. <laughs> um, but. The point is, he it was he was really nice, and he got back to me, and he was like, "I I'm so flattered that you you hold me in such high regards, and I would would have loved to, but I'm working on Rick and Morty." Uh, cool but it was enough. cool. I had, like he follows me on Instagram now. Um, wow. Yeah, it's not a little humble brag there for you guys. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty cool. And that Instagram, if you guys want to follow it, is at uh, Kid Michael Art, and you will find out a lot about the podcast and my art uh, through that. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Uh, let's get into some of these Q&A questions. All right. Uh, yeah, so we got a few people here who have reached out to me. Um, let's start with... I'm just opening up these questions. Um, all right, Karina. <laughs> so Karina asks, uh, who was just previously on the podcast, Karina asks, what other hobbies do you have besides drawing and how does that inspire your creative process? Um, well, right now I'm setting flagstones for my studio and actually I really enjoy any kind of building carpentry, construction, masonry work. Um, and the influence is pretty clear. I think I'm, I'm you know, I'm very much, my work is a lot about creating worlds and building things. And so actually, and often in the computer. So it feels really good to sweat and break my back and actually feel materials. Um, so yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a good antidote, but it's also a compliment mm -hmm. to animation. And, and, and of course, you know, it, it, it's a, just a good thing to sort of meditate over when you're trying to figure out how many, shovelfuls of gravel to throw in under a stone to make it balance you know that kind of stuff is what 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 is this this stone thing that you're uh what was it what did you call it flat well i guess slate they're big two by two stones that weigh about 60 pounds and you set them in a bed of gravel and stone dust and you know to get each one level you have to get all the base material just right mm -hmm. um, so it's laborious and backbreaking. Hmm. I can't. Satisfying. I can't picture that. Uh, what is it called? Well, if you've ever seen like a patio or a stone terrace or anything, yeah, it's either it's so, either set on a concrete base or it's set on like gravel and stone dust. So it's they're not stuck down, but they're very heavy. Oh, so uh, okay. Are you are you talking about like perfectly? Are you talking about like if you put like stone bricks on the floor in like a garden or something? Yeah, but they're okay. two by two feet. They're much. They're tiles. They're much bigger. Yeah, I have that bricks. in my backyard. Yeah. Right. Okay, so that's what you're talking about. Wow, that's that's backbreaking work. Do, do you do that at home? You're upstate, right? Uh, well, I'm in Westchester. Yeah. Upstate from New York. Out there with the. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what everyone calls upstate? No, upstate is anything north of Putnam County and Rockland. I think even Rockland is not okay. considered really upstate. We're still in South New York. Oh, yeah. I have no idea. I just know that I'm from Western New York. You don't consider yourself upstate, Merle? No way. Well, I no, consider all of you upstate. You guys are yes. not in the city, you're upstate. Like Ithaca area, or what, where are you from? No, uh, Rochester, Buffalo, like oh, right in the middle. Way out there. Yeah. yeah. But you're by Buffalo? 
Yeah. And that's not upstate? I mean, technically, it's... <laughs> it's, over, it's over state. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like less, Canada. It's less. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is like... Uh, Ohio. Kind of like the reverse of how uh, a lot of southern states are like, we're not the south, that's the south. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, next question. Suzelle asks... Uh, and I have no idea what she's referring to here. What are your plans for Mud Pie Labs? <laughs> well, funny you should ask that. I was hoping I would get this pitch. Um, it's a new studio that I that I am starting up now. Oh, okay. Um, and basically what happened was uh, I was working at the Animation Project, which I know I've talked about a lot, um, which was a workforce development program. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to create a professional studio sort of using the kids, uh, the talented kids that we had worked with and trained, and they had come from everything from probation programs to FIT to art and design. And with the pan the, when the pandemic hit, we were kind of like ramping up, though we hadn't quite got there. And basically, then the animation project had to sort of pull in the wagons and figure out how to run their basic programs all over the city. So... I left and but I love the concept of a studio that does professional work for profit studio but that really seeks out local talent mm -hmm. talent who may have gone through conventional art school may mm -hmm. have not may have learned from tutorials and you know find that kind of hunger and artists who really want to create stuff and um, because of my work in the industry i've gotten a, an agent that's representing us and um just you know this is my first real concerted effort to start up a company as opposed to just you know do more freelance work on the side from mm -hmm. teaching so i'm i'm pretty excited i'm very excited i'm looking at a, a calendar i put on the wall in front of me june and july and there's no one to help you i'm learning every application that I used to have other people doing with mm -hmm. me. <laughs> um, I worked at Blue Sky. I worked in 3D animation studios my whole life, and I never really had to sit down and Maya or, you know, Unreal yeah. Engine, and I'm doing it, and I, I love it. it. It's it's a lot, but the fact of the matter is you can do it all from your desktop now if you want to. Uh, That's really cool. Does it feel kind of like uh, uh, like like this, this quarantine thing has been a huge uh, hurdle to this plan, or...? I think it's actually probably what I think it's well, it's the reason I'm, I left tap mm -hmm. um, a lot of the reason, um, but it's also given me the space and the focus to do this. Mm -hmm. And look, as we've talked about in class, illustrators, animators, in some ways are best equipped to handle this because they're used to working in isolation. I love working on collaboration too, but, but I also have spent years as a freelancer. So I know, I don't think I ever had, I don't think I ever mastered, you know, my freelancing was usually a stopgap to the next longer term gig, gig, mm -hmm. and it was hard. And, and the idea of having, having a sales team, having a company name and taking it to that next level is, is seems like the right thing to be doing right now for me. Cool. Um, so what, have you guys gotten any, do you have any employees yet or? No, it's me, um, my agent, who has given us our first job to create a virtual uh, office for him. For and he has some major clients: um, Nathan Love, Ardman, mm -hmm. a lot of the commercial studios. Um, so, our first job is 
because he's given me so much in terms of developing the business, developing a reputation. So in exchange, I'm building essentially, like I was saying to you before, a virtual version of his company as a city with all the different buildings being his clients. And you oh. can fly into the fly into the building and see their reels and see their work. Um, so it's kind of, I'm, I'm pushing, I, and I want to do animation. I, I'll do anything, basically, any, anything involving animation, world building. Really think the niche to go into right now is mm -hmm. virtual worlds, not necessarily VR, but now that you're, you're on your computer so much, I think people really have this, and I think gamers probably are more already there, but I just think in general people, when they see something where you can kind of break into it, and it's like an escape mm -hmm. that I think people, but not even just game. I'm not interested as much in making games. I love, love to make a game, but I love using the game tool create tools for people to interact or you know, sell what they do and give people a more interactive experience. Cause I, I mean, for a year, at least a year, businesses are going to need to do that to connect with their, mm -hmm. and it's the, the bar is going to raise higher and higher as everybody starts using it. Like they used yeah. to use, you know, Photoshop and, or how they now use Photoshop and after and programming is becoming so easy because it's all it's all object oriented, so you don't have to know tons of code. Mm -hmm. You can download a gun and and it shoots, and you can move around in space. And there are all these lines of code that have been written for you. Yeah, I have to say, with with uh, VR, like my interest in it uh, is not so much even about video games. It's just my favorite part of any VR experience is just having a VR experience, just standing in it or interacting yeah. with something. It doesn't have to necessarily be a game. Uh, you know, I, think... it, it, I, I like that. I mean. You just made me think of something real quick. Um, so one of the guys that I am partnering with, um, his name is Dan Shinyo, is a guy from Blue Sky who decided to get into game development. And the first thing he did for a year was just invent this game where you're slash slicing pieces of metal, hot metal, with a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. And that was the exact, and that's why I first got in touch with him. I sort of knew, knew him, but I said, you know, Dan, this is amazing because you're focusing strictly on the tactile experience of being in that space mm -hmm. and it's exactly to your point it's less important that i think because vr the problem with vr is that the experience is not real mm -hmm. and you don't maybe know why and i'll tell you a few things sound is not right mm -hmm. there's no spatial orientation to the sound the timing is not right it's a 90 frame a second speed so if the music the sound and the and the physical physicality is wrong it's not you just you want to get out of it but if mm -hmm. it is right and it feels like you know you're having experience then and that's i think why vr has sort of always been kind of not quite fully yeah it's, it's besides never... the fact that it's so cumbersome and everything yeah. but but if it's if you go in and have one experience it's like ah, this is weird this isn't that cool then you don't want to go back i think it's the big hurdle it needs to get through is that the, the inability to walk in vr like physically yeah, I think that's what bothers me most when I play or when I try out VR. Right, I think it's, the world around it, you, right? Mm -hmm. It's I think it's really cool because I feel like we haven't had like a um, like a new platform. I feel like it's like like video games have reached like they're this good, and now we've found this new thing, and we've got a. Um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my like train of thought a little bit while I'm going along with this, but like 
how the um, the graphics aren't very good, and but it's it's kind of like a refreshing restart. We haven't had this kind of thing since like like the PlayStation One, and you know, just trying to find um, things about this this new. I haven't played it yet. I've only ever seen people play it. It's it's so different playing it than seeing someone play it. It doesn't look that interesting at all when you see someone do it, but like being in it is such a different experience. Um, yeah, I think my my like game changing experience with VR is when I went to the Museum of Natural History, um, and like I put on the headset and I built a T Rex skeleton and then the T Rex came to life. That was like insane. Wow, being in that room, that fake room. Um, I don't know, like. I think the perfect um, like uh, experiences in VR currently are the ones that work within the limitations. Like right now, there's no such thing as organic movement in virtual reality. You can't walk and then go somewhere. So the best virtual reality experience is the ones where you don't have to walk. You're just standing in one place. Yeah. Um, but like you know, I'm 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 hoping for those like those futuristic Ready Player One style treadmills to come out. <laughs> so we can start walking. And... Don't they have those? There's that. Um. There's They're not like, really. Con- sorry what oh no there's like i've seen like those places that are like yeah um round and they run so you can do it in like a vr arcade kind of thing but the point is that it's not a consumer ready technology it's like you can't buy a treadmill to to play vr currently or if you can it's it's unbelievably expensive (laughs) um i think that actual treadmill (laughs) that'd be cool but then how would you turn Mm. it rotates Oh. It's just a rotating, like a uh, an old uh, train turn. What do they call it? Roundabouts. Oh, yeah. I think walking and jumping are the two big things that they need to uh, perfect in VR. And then I'm like so sold. Uh, but yeah. Um, I think actually, what for for me, what's mixed reality is more exciting because you can you could do that if you had a hybrid, you know, AR. Like, if you're yeah. if you're tracking and a little bit like Pokemon Go, but much more sophisticated. If you're, and I think they're already doing this. Giant creatures are appearing in the street, and people are shooting them. You know, that's, <laughs> out of context, that's, that's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I feel like either either it's a simulated video or people are actually doing it. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but but now with with mixed reality, it's very doable. You could you can sort of in your you have a lens, you have like the hollow lens. Magic Leap, and you can see the world, but then you, in that world, your creature is superimposed, so you could be chasing them down the street. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dangerous, but better than Pokemon Go, where you're just staring at your phone yeah. and walking into walls. I feel like, too, that uh, VR is becoming such a threat to other kinds of um, time-wasting entertainment. The biggest one I can think of is, like, if VR can do so much, at, one, at some point, rides are not going to be impressive. Hmm. That's, uh, or they'll be combined, or they'll be incorporated. Yeah, they'll be incorporated. Make them even more. That's what they. That's why it's to me mixed reality is more interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to another question. Um, yes. I think we have two more. Uh, Nick, I can never remember his last name. Is it Cotaselli? Thomaselli. Thomaselli. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Nick. Uh, this is Nick's question. Um, how do you think classes will develop now that things for the time being maybe run online, like for a character class, completely online, etc.? Meaning a character design class? I think or... that's what he means. I don't know. He just sent me that. I should have clarified with him. Um, I mean, 
you know, the way I run my classes is, is really mostly studio and individual uh, interaction. And actually, I found that in our online courses, when I finally sort of figured out the dividing up the teams and then meeting with the teams individually and then meeting with individual, I found it to be weirdly more and more connected because I wasn't sort of walking around a room and trying to figure out, you know, who needed, you know, some push or some advice or who didn't or who to leave alone, Marella, um, or, <laughs> um, no, seriously, there are, there are definitely people in the class who, but, but in some ways by scheduling these meetings, it, it made it, cause I sort of hated the idea of sitting up and calling each one person individually. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, okay, you're going to be on this call with me for seven minutes. Um, I like that. Um, I definitely am spending all summer looking at different ways to make the the personal interaction better. I mean, I know how to, I know what the assignments are. Students, again, are often working at home anyway on their assignments. I don't think that changes that much. Um, I and I and I think I will probably continue team, even if it's. I mean, the way you guys kind of dealt with your your team situations, where you sort of morph them into individual sort of like um in some some teams are more collaborative than others but um you know like creating an anthology comic or something like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i really liked i really liked the way the teams um became i mean i think actually nick was the one who no no it wasn't nick it was stephen lee and the group that says so these are just groups right and i was like yeah okay and then once the pandemic hit they really became that, I think. I mean, mm -hmm. you guys know that better than I do, but I felt like the camaraderie was really good when everyone is isolated. A class of 25 students, I mean, half of them don't have, most of them didn't have their video on. It mm -hmm. wasn't that great, uh, you know, a, a, a collaborative experience. But when they were broken up into, you guys were broken up into, and however you were communicating through whatever medium, I felt that kept everyone engaged there you know there is the sense of a friendly competition whose project or whose aspect of it is going to be the most compelling and i think that's something that again started with the spring semester of last year mm -hmm. uh the fall semester with an entire team entire class working on a project i would never try to do that but the team process i think really worked so and in terms of technology, I mean, I'm hoping that FIT basically kicked us off of Zoom because the problem now Zoom done this huge security uh, upgrade. And I, I, I don't, I, it's the most elegant to me. I think, you know, Google Meets is okay, Skype, mm -hmm. you know, but I just felt like it was the easiest way of communicating. And I think a lot of it is just going to become professors and students becoming so conversant communicating that way that it, it will become feel normal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and how for how long hopefully not more than one semester i'm pretty sure the fall is not me officially saying it mm -hmm. um you know we're obviously faculty is being is putting together plans to, to be online as a contingency but i i feel like uh and you let me know if you uh, have a similar sentiment but in some ironic ways um, the way we we learn uh, via uh, you know online teaching now, some elements of it 
are more intimate than in-person meetings. Like there, there's there's uh, opportunities for more intimacy with a uh, like a educational uh, with a professor than there is. I agree because again, you're not in a room full of all sorts of activities, and there aren't other students there sort of interacting, um, and you don't feel like you're interrupting someone because truthfully you know when your meeting is so it's, mm -hmm. it has to be very regimented and I might maybe i could have done that in class where there was five minutes per student and it's all regimented but it had to be regimented online and that first i think that's exactly right that forced a, a stronger connection i mean a big part of it was i think every faculty member took very seriously the obligation to the students to continue a good education, make their work stay strong and, you know, help, help them deal with how they're adjusting, adjusting too. But again, most of us have been freelancers our whole lives. So the idea of work really, you know, we all had pretty good studios to, to work in that we had created. And so we have these little, these little nests that we go into and we can be creative. Mm -hmm. Students don't always have that. They have a dorm room. So we wanted to create an online place and a lot of that just, and there was definitely more of a sense that we we're kind of parenting through this a little bit, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that was, I think that caused a lot of um, rethinking about what our roles are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always you... sort of felt like that. I've always sort of felt that was part of my role, but in this situation with my kids, going through what they're going through and seeing all of you guys go through it. Um, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a closer connection. What were you Do saying, you, Oh, sorry. Do you think that um, because of all this, there might be a chance of getting rid of uh, attendance? I know a lot of more private schools just like don't care yeah. about attendance. Yeah. Do you think that would ever be a thing at, I know it's like a SUNY thing that YFIT does it, but because of all this, um, a lot of people have realized they are able to work at home and it's kind of like if you have, I don't know, some people have like anxiety or have to travel a long time. Do you think this would, like people are going to fight against going back and meeting in class? I, I, I like, you know, I'm sort of like, do we have to go back? Um, <laughs> Because I, I, I definitely yeah. was like, um, for a little bit in the semester, I was like, why do I have to go in every day? Like, I, I need a job, too. I think <laughs> and that, now yeah. I don't have a job and I'm not going to school. <laughs> I think right. the practical answer, like being, being that my mom and my sister are both teachers and teaching at home right now, is that in some cases, people who are really good teachers just can't do it this way. And that's going to be a big percentage of teachers who would then just be just cut out of the educational system if we stuck to this, I think. Yeah. Well, no, I think what I, I, I what I'm thinking you're saying, Marilla, is that mm -hmm. it, there becomes a hybrid. I mean, I think it's going to be a hybrid for a while. There's no question. I mean, if we go back in the fall, yeah. my guess is it's, it's going to be you meet once a week with half the class because that's all yeah. going to be in the classroom. I don't even think they're going to but um, I, you know, just to say doing out, doing with, doing away with attendance i mean i think in art school i would i want people there as much as possible and yeah uh you know i think it, it's hard to say i mean i i i a lot gets a lot happens in the classroom whether it's online or in person um 
and it, I'm not sure how it would work to have a hybrid where some are, are there, some aren't, some online. I think each class could be more of a hybrid. Like you meet once a week and then once a week you meet online. I, you know, that could work for me. So it's a little bit less contact time yeah. in person. That is mm -hmm. going to be what it is the semester if we go back. Mm -hmm. Less contact time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have one last question uh, from Holly. Uh, and it's a question that has been answered by every professor in like a million different ways, but I'm uh, she she still reached out, so I'm gonna ask it. Uh, how the ex how do I get an expletive job now? <laughs> she told me to sweeten that up. I don't know bit. what an expletive. What, no, I she what, just what, she cur she kidding. cursed and oh okay. <laughs> Are we not allowed to do that? Are we on? FCC? No, uh, she just told me to clean it up. <laughs> oh well, here's how you get a fucking job. Clear, Michael. <laughs> I'll tell you how to get a fucking job. There um, we go. Yeah. Uh, what's the What's the answer? I mean, I I like to. I one person I always quote on this is Steve Martin. When people ask him how you make it in the show business, mm -hmm. he says you just do what you do. You become the best at what you do. Mm -hmm. It's not about you get an agent. It's not about you, you know, being in the right place at the right time. That all that all happens accessory to so being so focused on your craft that um all the rest yeah i mean there's all sorts of things i can tell you about um be as social as you possibly can you know use use the, your student social connections as first of all like a practice run for how you keep your network and build your network and keep track of people and you know let people know you're you're thinking about them and that translates into first of all a lot of your co your classmates will at some point become working somewhere and let you know about a job a job it that takes time and but it only happens actively pursue it mm -hmm. um i think i remember um uh, uh angel garcia who was one of the chalk uh, uh managers alumni came back and that was one of the things he said like two years later he came back and said i had no idea how important using social connections and being social and making an effort an action an active effort to do that was to this because mm -hmm. they we weren't really taught that and we weren't i i talk about it all the time i think but i think in general there's this feeling kind of in a traditional way of doing it so you're saying holly Postcard, has to remember to text me more no, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, and I think I mean, it's interesting coming from Holly because she, it, it, it's funny. She's one of the one of the students who sent me an email after I sent the crit, and you know she's, you know, said some nice things, but connected. And I said you, and, and it was kind of the same question. And I was like, you've answered part of the question by reaching out, mm -hmm. asking about things, um, asking for help. You know, as as you pointed out, even though he couldn't help you, the writer that you contacted. Mm -hmm. thrilled that you had contacted contacted him and, and you never know who to pick up the phone. yeah and, you know that i mean i i went back to my high school journalism teacher that's who helped me get my first job i mean you don't know who out there can help you and the other thing to be really aware of always put yourself in the place of the person that you're reaching out and think about do they give a fuck about me <laughs> and why should they and that's not even, truthfully, that's not even the first thing you should think about. The first thing you think about is what are they doing? 
Are they on a deadline? Um, what can I say or do that gives them a sense of? Hello? Oh, cut out. A sense of what? A sense of what? Uh, is, he, is he still here? All right, let's give him a sec. <laughs> does he does he know he's not? I don't know. Someone with oh, there you go. You cut. I can bring. You cut out. Uh, you I said a, a sense of. <laughs> I need a job. How can you help uh -huh. me? Um, that just doesn't interest people that much, unless mm -hmm. it's you know your uncle. But I think it's important to always get get outside of yourself, even if it feels forced. Mm -hmm. email someone you haven't heard from post something on instagram um but always always honing your craft and being really open to the fact that what you think might be your first job isn't mm -hmm. it and my wife says this a lot the idea of a dream job is bullshit oh. if you're waiting to get the dream job you're never going to find that dream job take the job that's in front of you make the most of it i mean one of my first jobs in new york was you know being 200 feet up on a scaffold in the middle of the winter painting billboards and murals mm -hmm. and being paid 15 bucks an hour but i took it and then all the other people who are, do who are doing it were also fine artists and, and but then one of my next jobs well then i did a bunch of like paste up work but when i really needed work i took a job i went to a temp agency, temp agency. i learned how to use a little the little mac classic Mm -hmm. which was like I had never even used one. And I learned how to do word processing, and I went to work at Citibank and had to wear a suit every day, mostly word processing. But then I met this one guy, this sort of like crazy technology development guy. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, can, you, can we make a video game that teaches people how to use their money? And I thought, okay, order me Macromind Director, which was the precursor to flash and mm -hmm. a bunch of software and i'll figure out how to do it and i did and so in this sort of temp job that it could have been shit it was and it was the, another example of talking to people and this is something i had to learn the hard way when i first came to new york i was working as an editorial cartoonist sat at my desk didn't talk to anybody didn't develop a real network and i left there and only years later did I realize I had missed networking with some people who were like Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times writers. And I was just in my little bubble, you know, but weirdly enough, then when I went to Citibank, I was talking to everybody and mm -hmm. that got me to learn. And I sort of saw desktop animation, what I was calling it back then as the future, because there was no such thing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 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 it's being very, keeping your eyes wide open and your mind wide open and not writing anything off. If you have a preconceived notion of your dream job, that's great, but don't pass up an immediate opportunity, even if it's just a job because mm -hmm. that you think that's going to, you're holding out for that great job because mm -hmm. you'll be the 55 year old person sitting there thinking, I'm going to be an illustrator and you're still doing your day job. Kind of because, like a, I don't know if this is a real expression, but like one eye on the road, one eye on the wheel kind of, yeah, and 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 you and another good metaphor is the is the basketball idea of pivoting on one foot. If you've got your foot planted in something, don't jump out of it necessarily yeah. to go to something else. Keep your foot planted there. Try this. You know, you have to be agile. 
You really have to be agile and really learn, embrace technology. Don't this, this, this sort of strange mentality that still exists in academia about technology being the other and, you know, traditional versus technological. It's, it's not even a, not even an issue anymore, but mm -hmm. definitely embrace any sort of technology that you think can help you or, and just embrace it just for the sake of embracing it, because that's what, that is going to work. Uh, you know, understanding software, mm -hmm. understanding how technology, creative technology works is going to be work. If, if, if that's what you want to do, if you want to paint, you, you know, you're going to, you know, if you want to paint in oils, that's great, but you're not going to get a job painting in oils. I can tell you that pretty much, you know, you could teach, you could do it on your own, but if that's what you want to do, those are not jobs mm -hmm. there. It's a, it's a career. It can be a career, but you know, if you want to paint and sell your work in galleries, that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you brought up, um, well, you re brought up that thing about the, the mentor the story. And I would say from that experience, uh, one thing I would suggest, even though I can't say if it'll get you jobs because obviously I don't have one yet, but I think something that comes in handy other than keeping in touch with people is, uh, uh, doing detective work, I think sometimes yeah. because in, yeah. in that case, I won't give away how I did it because then other people would be able to talk to this person. But it, I had to do some like deep digging to get to an agent to get yeah. to another agent to get to him, and it was like you got to you got to teach yourself how to detective work your way into people's attention sometimes. Yeah, if, if there's an online application for a job, that is the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. The next thing you do is who do I know there? in like exactly right and detective work is a lot easier to do in my day it was cold calling which is how i got started too just pick up the phone hoping you get someone on the phone that has a minute mm -hmm. and if they don't help you call another number there i used to call the numbers at mtv at, at nick uh, viacom just randomly <laughs> call different numbers you know i knew the prefix i knew it was three four six or something mm -hmm. and i would just call other numbers <laughs> Ask for someone and oh, what department is this? Yeah. Um, um, wait, can we circle back real quick to uh -huh. the, um, to like working traditional? You you're referring to like only doing that, right? Like not just um, like say if you wanted to be a freelance illustrator, I mean you'd still have even if you wanted to do traditional, you'd still have to have an interaction with technology in some way or another, but you can still work traditional. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. And um, a great example is Philip Burke, who's a great caricature illustrator. Paint, he does paint in oils, and it's brilliant because I think he started when it became much more easy to uh, take a picture and send it. So he paints in oil. It doesn't wait for it to dry. He paints huge paintings and then a photo, and he sends it digitally. So I, I don't. I don't care how you create something, but embrace the technology as a, a way of communicating, a way, of, you know, getting your work out there. Uh, I love, believe me, I, I, I have, yeah. you look at my studio, I have paintbrushes all over the place <laughs> and I, you know, but it's, a, to me, it's kind of an, an antidote because I know that working digitally, once, once the Sinki came out and I realized I didn't have to draw on paper anymore for storyboards. Because that's like, that's like you're drawing, you know, 20, 50 drawings a day. You don't want to have to scan them. I was like, okay, I'm going. And also it's all going scanned anyway. So why wouldn't I just work that way? Mm -hmm. But for illustration, you know, there's subtleties that 
that you might want to get. It's just it's just faster to work digitally and, and yeah. And I think and now you can up. get great effects also. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's crazy and ironic um, to want to be an illustrator and entirely reject computers, given that computers in a lot of ways are the technological equivalent of the inception of illustration. It's the idea of create. It, it's built to create mass production, which is what illustration is built for. Yeah, it'd be like someone who was painting in gouache, egg, or egg tempera, when someone said, hey, we could use linseed oil. Nah, I don't, I'm, I'm going to work traditionally, mm -hmm. use that technology. You know, it's, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying technology, I also don't know, I don't see where the line is between technology and tradition, but I also don't think technology is just a tool. I think that's a, that's a misconception. I think technology is a whole new, uh, it, 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 it because of what you're saying, Marilla, about VR, that's mm -hmm. that's making you think creatively differently. The whole idea of creating virtual worlds that people can interact with is not just another tool to you know, make children's books better. It's a whole different kind of children's book. Or it's not, you know, it's a whole different experience. So I just think there's a weird connotation of the word technology. Mm -hmm. Like it's strange yeah. because everything is technology. That's true. Some I, I has think it's, electrons involved. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, Michael, with what you were saying, with people that like illustrators that reject technology, I think it's almost impossible to be an illustrator without, you know, at this point um, mm -hmm. in this in the field, it's impossible not to have uh, computers in your life. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a, a two sided coin too. I think you can't reject technology, and you cannot reject uh, knowing how to do things traditionally. I think you need both yeah. in your pocket. I just think if you love making stuff, make it. You know, mm -hmm. you make it. Yeah. I, I'm just yeah. saying, I don't, it's a conversation. Whenever we have these faculty conversations, I'm like, guys, why are we still having this conversation? I think this was settled in 1998, <laughs> you know, or even before. People, yeah. When photography happened, you know, I mean, good God, we're still, people are still talking about photography replacing illustration. It did because <laughs> illustrators didn't adapt. You know, until they did adapt, they come really understand the idea of stylization. It couldn't be done in photography. Then, then it came back. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I like what you said, Marilla. Just, just make, just make stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stop worrying. That'd be about a cool T-shirt. Just make. Just make it. <laughs> just <Yeah>. make it. <laughs> that that sounds so close to just do it, though. Yeah. So it's like. So you're making fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the artist. A cool, a cool an upside down check mark and they just make it. <laughs> it's funny because the, um, you know, the son of the Nike heir, uh, Travis Knight is the son of Knight, who invented Nike, and he runs Leica Studios. And what's amazing about Leica Studios, they don't draw a line anywhere between technology and, I mean, they build stuff in clay. They paint. They, I, I went to the studio. They use twist ties from bread bags to make pine needles and they just but then they'll also they also 3d every every face that's digitally printed is 3d animated sorry didn't travis knight leave leica he went to direct a feature but he still runs it oh someone left like oh. recently who was in financing i don't know it probably wasn't him um you might be thinking ed catmull left oh. and john west for different reasons yeah uh, this feels like a good point uh, for us to maybe wrap up. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I wanted forever, to, but it was good. I wanted to say, Dan, yeah. before you go, uh, 
your your notes in my final grading thing uh brought my mom to tears so i wanted to thank you for that <laughs> that was the idea yeah um i think holly said holly said uh, her put him up on the bridge and i said that's the that's the best compliment any cartoonist yeah. could ever want that's cute um so cute. dan where can people find you um at dan shuffleman d-a-n-s-h-e-f-m-a-n on instagram is probably the best place to start and where can they find uh is it the mud pie mud pie is two posts so far it's at mud pie labs mm -hmm. one word um it will start to awesome the next couple sorry I've repeat that there it'll start to blossom as a as a instagram but truthfully okay. i only have about 50 followers so it's okay. not really it's mostly gonna oh, be well you're on the biggest show in town now <laughs> yeah right well um, I'll, I'll definitely post this when it comes up i'll put it on my social media so cool uh anything else you want to plug uh no i love this show plug your show uh, <laughs> you heard it here guys if you aren't already watching michael's show <laughs> <laughs> tune in to our next interesting guest uh yeah i think is... tiffany's coming back next episode oh cool to talk about hot dog heist nice uh and then after that i get my my new replacement co-host um but yeah so you guys have been listening to it's the kid michael show thank you so much for coming uh, i am your host kid michael my uh co-host this week has been uh morella albanese Hello. uh <laughs> my guest has been dan shuffleman uh what do I say at the end of every episode? I don't even remember. Uh, you can, uh, our, my the guy who writes the, uh, the guy who writes and the composer and performer of the theme song was Matt, is Matthew Rosenthal. My editor, who's gonna have a lot of work to do right now, is <laughs> is Aristides Panagas. Uh, don't cut out my language though. That's that. Yeah, I won't. I won't. No. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>